to Autism in the Adult podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Teresa Regan, an adult neuropsychologist. I specialize in brain behavior relationships for those 14 and older. I'm the parent of an amazing teen on the autism spectrum and a certified autism specialist. I am deeply grateful to bring validation, hope, and purpose to individuals and their families living on the autism spectrum. With this mission at its core, I founded and currently direct the OSF Healthcare Adult Diagnostic Autism Center in Central Illinois. My books include Understanding Autism in Adults and Aging Adults and Understanding Autistic Behaviors. For more information and to join my online community for free, visit www.adultandgeriatricautism.com. Please join me in helping individuals, couples, and families thrive while living life on the autism spectrum. Hello, it's Dr. Regan. Welcome to the podcast this week. The topic today is name that emotion. For those on the spectrum, many times it's difficult for them to survey what's happening in their internal world, and that can include emotional states, and it can also include physical states. If I ask, what emotion are you feeling, or what have you been feeling recently in the last couple months, recently someone told me nothing. Um, He said, I don't have any emotion. But many times, I would say the most common answer ends up being tired, that I've been feeling tired. Um, And when I say, is tired an emotion, um, I get different responses. Sometimes people say, well, to me it is, or they'll say, I guess not. Um, Or they might say, well, I guess I've been feeling stressed. So tired and stressed seem to be the two most common emotional states described by people that I work with who are on the spectrum. Tired and stressed seem to serve similar purposes of description. It's just kind of this emotional state of being drained, I think. Um, Now, when kids are little, uh, the first uh, very basic emotions they learn are happy, sad, and mad. And I think we could throw worried in there. So those are really the very basic, kind of like the primary colors are to the color world. Happy, sad, mad, and anxious or concerned. Many times, adults that I work with on the spectrum are able to relay those emotions. So if I say, tell me as many words as you can think of that are emotion words, or tell me as many emotions as you can think of that you've experienced in the last three months or your mom has experienced, for example, a lot of times people will be able to access the words happy, sad, or mad, or worried. When I ask what makes you feel that way or what makes mom feel that way or your friend feel that way or your spouse feel that way, Sometimes there are generic responses, like doing something she likes makes her feel happy. Um, Being with her children makes her feel happy. It's also an interesting question to say, what makes this person that you're close with feel happy, sad, mad, or worried? You could pick one uh, that doesn't have to do with you. 
uh, that can be a little harder for the person on the spectrum to survey their memory for. To think about this person who has a whole life that's different than my life, what are they feeling in the life outside of the, the interactions with me and what causes them to feel that way? And also, how can these emotions be adjusted? This is another layer of awareness. So number one, what am I feeling? Number two, what triggered that feeling? And number three, how can this feeling be adjusted? Many times, people on the spectrum seem to be very, very sensitive to shifts in what I call emotional valence. So they often are very attuned to the feel of the emotional atmosphere. And by valence, I mean, is this a good vibe that I'm getting in the emotional atmosphere or is it bad? And so sometimes people will say they feel very attuned to the emotions of others. And usually they mean they feel very conscious of and aware of and sometimes overwhelmed by shifts in the emotional atmosphere where perhaps they were interacting with someone they're close with and all of a sudden the atmosphere shifted to be, quote, bad. And they feel very attuned to that. However, they are often less attuned to the specific emotion. Other than good or bad, what emotion was this? What just happened? Is this person grieving? Are they feeling frustrated or irritable? Are they um, upset about a specific thing that was said? So to determine more specifics of the emotion can be much more difficult. And to understand what just happened in this interaction to trigger that. So they often can say, wow, I'm very attuned to the fact that something just happened and it's not good. But they feel less uh, grounded in what it was that happened and what triggered that to happen in this interaction. The third part that they often really struggle with is, what is my role now? Now that this shift has occurred, now that the valence has shifted, even if they knew what the emotion was, what triggered that, sometimes they feel very lost about what is my role in shifting the emotional atmosphere back. And so someone said to me, for example, I wouldn't know how to lighten the mood. Uh, So that kind of thing. What is this emotion other than the valence of it? What triggered this emotion in my interaction with this person? And what could I do? What's my role in shifting it between me and this other person during our interaction? Some people I work with are better at detecting emotions in other people than they are at detecting emotions in themselves. They might be very attuned to the emotions of adults that they interact with frequently, but feel a little bit at a loss as to what their own emotions are. Why is it important to detect and identify emotions? Well, the identification of emotions
Well, there are several reasons that this matters. Awareness in relationships uh, of the emotions of another person and your emotions and the mix of those. So if you're in a relationship with someone, a lot of times your emotions kind of um, trigger each other or they feed on each other or they, um, and not in a, in a negative way, but they just mix and you get this um, complex emotional state that changes between the two of you. And the, the partner that you have, this other person in the relationship, may need you to have awareness of what their emotional state is, or they may expect this. And so that's what you might hear when somebody says, well, if I have to tell you what I'm feeling, you're not really attuned to it, and therefore you're not really close with me, or you're not wanting to be close, or you don't want to pay close enough attention. So sometimes this can create uh, tension or conflict in a relationship if each individual doesn't know that on the spectrum, this, this individual may really be lost about what emotion they're feeling, what emotion you're feeling, what triggered it, and what they can do. This is an important thing, too, in work situations or interactions with authority, for example. So it's not just in uh, close friendships or best friendships. It's not just in romantic partnerships or family relationships. But in the workplace or if you have clients, if you have those people who are in authority over you, it could be very helpful for you to be able to read the emotional atmosphere, not just whether something shifted, but what's going on under the surface. And so for the individual on the spectrum, this can be really difficult to navigate uh, a sale to a client, for example, or identifying what just went wrong in your interaction with the person in authority over you. In addition, many times therapy or counseling for individuals with depression or anxiety or for relationships will use what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. And this is a type of counseling that's very effective for many things, but it does rely on some things that the individual on the spectrum may really struggle with at its base. And so The premise of cognitive behavioral therapy is that the individual will begin to monitor their own thoughts, their own emotions, and behaviors, and that they'll start becoming aware of links between what they think and what they feel. For example, if you have the thought, oh my gosh, this will never get better, Uh, your emotion will reflect that belief. And so in cognitive therapy, you start to realign your thoughts and you might say, okay, instead of this will never get better, I'm going to say something more true and balanced, which is this difficult thing has been going on for so long. It's easy for me to feel discouraged, but I actually do know that I've moved forward in these areas. And I wish it would be faster, but we're making some steady progress, and that's okay. Um, So you try to look at the links between your thoughts and emotions, and also 
your behaviors. You know, when I feel this feeling, what do I end up doing? Do I withdraw? Do I lash out? Do I go to bed? You also focus on how you can change behaviors to change your overall emotional state. So if when you're feeling depressed, you typically don't do your favorite activities, then one of the things you might do to shift your emotional state is to do the activity anyway, and then to look at how that impacts your emotional state. So for someone on the spectrum who's in cognitive behavioral therapy, what I find is that it's really um, very individual as to how much progress a person on the spectrum will make with CBT therapy. And there are books on this as to why it's a good approach for people on the spectrum. I think that for certain individuals who have the ability to detect some of those feelings and to make progress with that, we do see that it can be a nice addition to introducing this concept of self-monitoring. But for someone who really struggles um, and, you know, we think of everyone on the spectrum, it is a spectrum. So I do see that some people have a bit better ability uh, in the area of self-monitoring than somebody else might. So sometimes I work with people one or two years before they seem to start making some of those links. Other people seem to catch on that concept easier and do a bit better and other clients just really aren't able to self-monitor like that they really don't have the neurologic ability to identify the self and what's going on inside their mind instead what might need to happen for the individual that doesn't have the ability to self-monitor what just happened what emotion is that what triggered it, and what's my role. If you're going through counseling and you're really not making much progress in that area, we, we may also have to shift some things in the environment. So the person in a relationship, for example, the relationship partner with the ASD individual, the autistic individual, may need to know that they really need to verbalize and clarify what they think is implied or what they think is clearly uh, there based on the nonverbal. Sometimes they're just going to have to put a word on it because the individual is not going to be able to guess with the efficiency and the real, um, you know, the clarity that's going to feed that relationship well. So one of the strategies I would say is if you're the partner in this or a friend, just know that you're that you're going to have to verbalize put a word on that and say wow I'm really feeling this way I think what triggered that was that I interpreted this comment in a specific way so that the autistic partner the autistic friend can catch up with what just happened and can understand without having to guess Another thing that often needs to be verbalized is not only what your emotional state is, but the autistic individual often needs to know what's my role in this. So for example, I had a couple who were in their 50s and her mother had a very significant medical issue come up 
and she had to go straight to the hospital in the midst of another project they were working on so she could be with her mother. And he really didn't know what his wife would want him to do. So one thing that the autistic individual can do is frequently ask, I want to be here for you. What does that look like in this situation? What can I do to support you? And that often needs to be asked again over time. And so um, she, in this particular instance, she actually initiated because she knew he looked lost. And she said, could you do such and such and such for me while I go to the hospital? So he had a role and he did that and he felt um, that he was able to contribute and she realized that he was supporting her. Uh, where it fell apart was a little bit over time. And so after that, he didn't ask and she didn't offer, but it was very noticeable to her that over the course of this long hospitalization um, and her doing a lot of caregiving that he wasn't attuned to the fact that she was drained out, to the fact that she was tearful and grieving over her mom's health issues. Um, and so they kind of got a little bit stuck in that situation. What often helps much better is for the autistic individual just to know, you know, maybe every day I ask, what do you need from me today? What would be helpful? Because I want to be here for you. Um and the person who's in a relationship with that individual also needs to know just with regularity, you might need to give verbal updates. So the words are important and connecting the dots. So even though you might say in words, boy, that drains me out to be with my mom, it's really hard. Uh, you might also have to say, therefore, it would be great if you would do X, Y, or Z. So just to have that awareness that you may really need to do that, and that's going to have to be okay in that relationship. It's kind of like colorblindness. So if somebody's colorblind, we may wish that they had this intuitive sense of color, uh, but they don't. Their body, their, their eyes are just not going to process that physically. And so we have to adjust. We know that this person is going to miss inputs about color from their environment, and we know to um, interact with them accordingly. So it's kind of like that, that this is a person who might really try to work on some self-awareness, but there's going to be limitations to the amount that their brain can correctly detect and process and then know what to do with. And in a relationship you're really going to have to augment that with these very specific strategies of saying, wow, I think you really missed that I need this right now. And it's really important to me to have it. Um, so adding those verbalizations and connecting the dots can be actually a really straightforward way of cutting down some of the misunderstanding, uh, some of the alone feeling, and really getting to the root of what you need and what the other individual needs in the relationship. Thank you for joining me and talking about awareness of emotions and knowing how to connect the dots to make the relationship work. 